Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Before we go any further, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask God to pour out the Holy Spirit upon this special time. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the beautiful Sabbath. And God, we just praise you for giving us the privilege and opportunity to worship you today. God, as we open up your word, may our hearts and minds be open to receive the word with a willing heart. And Father, help us to submit to your word because you tell us for our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, Prophecy's Letter of Love. Prophecy's Letter of what? Love. Prophecy's Letter of Love. And I believe that God is going to communicate something very special to each and every one of us. Now, if you've been coming out to the seminar, you know that today is the last day of that seminar. God has blessed us these last three weeks. Can you say amen to that? But we also discover that tonight, that tonight there's going to be a very special message, and it's entitled, The Final Message. And you don't want to miss that, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, what you're going to hear today is part of what you're going to hear tonight. So make sure your schedules are clear. Make sure you show up for tonight, because we want to end with the fireworks. Amen? And I believe you're going to be tremendously blessed. So please show up to tonight's message. Well, this morning's message is entitled, Prophecy's Letter of Love. Now, this is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. If you look on the screen, what you see on the screen is a letter. It is a love letter that's in the Library of Congress. What's unusual about this love letter is its origins. Is its what? Now I'm going to ask a question. What is the purpose of giving a letter of love to somebody? Come on, you hopeless romantics. What is the purpose of giving a love letter to somebody? Daniel Sias said, information. <laughs> Praise the Lord, your wife believes in grace. Anybody else? What is the purpose of giving a letter of love to somebody? Okay, I just heard Babylon right now. So basically... What this is, ladies and gentlemen, you guys know, I've heard people say, it is an expression of love. It is something you use to communicate to some love to somebody else in a very special way. So, for example, a husband and wife or a couple that is courting, they may give each other love letters. And there are special things that are in those love letters. Let me ask you a question. Do people here that are married still have their love letters? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. I saw some elderly there, too, as well. Wow, that's amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what you are seeing up here is a very special love letter. This is in the Library of Congress. Its origins are very mysterious. Some people have an idea where this letter came from. Some people don't. Now, I'm going to read you this love letter. And at first, you're going to hear it, and you're going to think to yourself, that is no love letter. So here it is. Madam, the great love and tenderness I have hitherto expressed for you is false. I now feel that my indifference towards you increases proportionably every day. And the more I see you, the more I appear ridiculous and an object of contempt. And the more I feel disposed, inclined, and finally determined to hate you. Believe me, I never had the least inclination to offer you my hand and heart. Our last conversation, I assure you, has left a wretched insipidity. 
which has been no means possess me with the most exalted opinion of your character. Yes, madam, and you will much oblige me by avoiding me. That's so beautiful. And if, if ever we are united, I shall experience nothing but fearful hatred of my parents, added to an everlasting displeasure of living with you. Yes, madam, I think sincerely. You need not put yourself to the smallest trouble or send or write me an answer. Adio. And believe that I am so averse to you that it is really impossible that I should ever be, Madam, your affectionate lover, tell death. W.G. off. Can you say amen to that? No amens. Now, you would think as you're looking at this, how in the world is this a love letter? It sounds like the person is, is saying, uh, I do not want to be around you whatsoever. It sounds like they are even giving them a divorce in that letter. This does not appear to be a love letter at first. Now, what's so unusual about this love letter is that there are two ways to read this love letter. When you read it, just as we have read it, it does not sound like a love letter. It sounds like a letter of hatred. I do not want to be around you. You are a displeasure me. That doesn't sound like a letter of love. Now you're still scratching your head. You're thinking to yourself, how in the world is this a love letter? Well, what's so interesting is the person who supposedly wrote this love letter wrote it in code. Wrote it in code? Why is that? Because apparently the father of the lady did not like the male. And so he would go through her mail, and whenever something came like this, he would be okay with it. He did not want this man dating his daughter. But when you take a good look at this letter, ladies and gentlemen, what you begin to discover is that every other sentence is what the man actually meant. I'll read it to you. The great love and tenderness that I have hitherto expressed for you increases proportionably every day. And the more I see you, the more I feel disposed, inclined, and finally determined to offer you my hand and heart. Our last conversation has possessed me with the most exalted opinion of your character. And if we are united, I shall experience nothing but the pleasure of living with you. In marriage, praise the Lord. Yes, madam. I think sincerely, write me an answer, audio, and believe that I am, madam, your affectionate lover till death, W. Joff. Now, what's so interesting about this, this is a very unique love letter. It's still in the Library of Congress today. So if you ever visit the Library of Congress, you can see this very special letter. As we talked about earlier, when people are giving love letters to somebody, they are communicating things about love to that person in a very special way. Sometimes writing communicates things more distinctly and more, um, uh, let's say, more majestically than just simply speaking it out. And so love letters are very important in today's society. The Bible teaches us, when you read Scripture, that God has sent many letters of love to this world. And the reason why is that he is trying to communicate his love to a fallen and rejected world. The Bible teaches us that God is sending these messages of love each and every day. And he has a very special way of sending these letters. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What do you think God is talking about in these letters of love? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says this. Eye has not seen, nor ear has what? 
heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, what is being communicated through these mysterious letters of love, God is communicating heaven. God is communicating heaven. He wants his people to know what it's like to be in an eternal relationship with him. The Bible tells us that we have not seen nor we have heard anything that's in our imagination that compares to heaven. And so God has a very distinct way of trying to communicate what's in heaven, and what it is to have a very special relationship with God. Look at this love letter, Jesus, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and see what God is sending. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 2 through 3. You are our what? Epistle. It doesn't say you are our apostle. It says you are our epistle. Now, when you read the New Testament, there are several epistles. Now, an epistle is not just some regular letter. An epistle is a formalized, special letter that is sent with a very unique purpose. And so when you're reading about the word epistle, ladies and gentlemen, this is no normal piece of writing, no normal piece of literature. But look what the Bible says right here. You are our epistle. You are our letter. Written in our hearts. Known and read by all men. Ladies and gentlemen, who reads this very special love letter from God? All men. Everybody everybody around us. Look what else the scripture says. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us. Written not with ink. But by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone. But on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. Ladies and gentlemen. You are God's love letter to this fallen world. And God has written it with his spirit upon your heart. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are God's way of communicating his love to this rejected world. And whether, whether or not you like it, ladies and gentlemen, you are a witness. The question is whether you are a good witness or a bad witness. But you are God's love letter to this world. And depending on how you live your life and how you are, ladies and gentlemen, will determine what that letter says about God. But the Bible makes it very clear, you are his epistle. You are his epistle, communicating the things of heaven. The Bible says this, for our citizenship is in what? Heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a love letter sent from heaven to communicate to this fallen world what heaven is all about. Amen? The Bible says your citizenship, your true citizenship, is in heaven. You're part of the new Jerusalem, ladies and gentlemen. And when people see you, they are learning something about God, whether it's true or whether it's false. You know, it's very interesting. Obviously, you can see I'm of Indian origin. But I was born and raised in Southern California. Southern Californians are not normal Americans. Okay? We're a different kind of American. And so when I went to India, I thought to myself, oh yeah, I'm going to fit in with these people. They're going to know all about me. They're going to know I'm Indian. Let me just tell you something. I stick out like a sore thumb wherever I go. India or even the rest of America. When I showed up in India, I was trying to act like everybody else. 
They kind of walk with this just glazed look, not paying attention to all the peddlers and people try to sell things. And you just kind of walk and you just keep doing your own thing. But clearly they could recognize by my actions, by my behavior, by the fact that I speak English, they could recognize that I was not born in India. Ladies and gentlemen, here's something to understand. When people see you, do they know you're a citizen of heaven? Or do they know that you are of this world? Ladies and gentlemen, it's hard to hide who you are. Just like I cannot hide the fact that I'm from Southern California. Everywhere I go, some people pick it out. You're from Orange County, right? How'd you know? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same thing. People ought to see you and they ought to say, this person, oh, they're a citizen of the kingdom. Amen? So ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand what the Bible says as we are preparing for that heavenly city. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to make us citizens of this beautiful kingdom. You need to be sticking out like a sore thumb. I didn't say be obnoxious. Amen? Some people think being distinct and being unique is being obnoxious. That is not what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. But what I am saying is... People should know whether or not you are a follower of the Word of God. They ought to know where your citizenship really is. Amen? The Bible teaches us that we should be aliens. Now you're thinking to yourself, aliens? Well, let's take a good look at Webster's Dictionary definition of the word alien. One who does not belong in the environment in which they are found. Number two, a form of life assumed to exist outside the earth or its atmosphere. Number three, being or from or characteristics of another place. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible calls us to be aliens, not little green aliens in this world, but we are called to be aliens in this world. In other words, this world should begin to become foreign to us. Why? Because we are becoming more and more a citizen of heaven. Can you say amen to that? And so you want to make sure that you're here for part two tonight. But we are called to be in the world, but we are not called to be what? Of the world. Take a good look at what the word in and the word of actually mean. The word in implies a physical location. I am in the church. Being of the church means that I belong to the church. I am possessed of by the church. So you take a good look at those two words, in and of. Now let's see what the scriptures teach. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 1 verse 10. He was what? In the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not what? Know him. So Jesus was physically in the world. But the Bible makes it very clear, he was not of the world. Look what John chapter 8 verse 23 says. He said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not what? Of this what? World. Jesus made it very clear. He says, yes, I am in this world, but I do not belong to this world. Now we're going to look at some other verses. Take your Bible. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus begins to speak about his disciples. And watch what the scriptures teach us about this concept of in and of. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Amen. And that's page 1041. 1041 in your seminar Bibles. We're going to John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you see somebody next to you who doesn't know where John 13 is, be a friend and help them to find out where John chapter 13 is. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Now watch what the scriptures teach. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Now watch this. Having loved his own who were in the what? World. So where are God's people, ladies and gentlemen? They're where? In the world. They're located in this planet. But go to John chapter 17. But watch what Jesus says and watch what is his prayer for his people. John 17 verses 9 through 16. John chapter 17 verses 9 through 16. Just a few chapters later. John chapter 17 verses 9 through 16. Ladies and gentlemen, do you mind if I take my coat off? It is getting extremely hot and I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. All right. We're going to John chapter 17. Take a good look at verse 9. I pray for them. This is Jesus' prayer right before he's about to be crucified. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are what? Yours. All mine are yours, and and all yours are mine. I am glorified where? In them. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. There's that phrase again. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world. There's that phrase again. I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except for the son of who? Perdition. And who's he talking about, ladies and gentlemen? Judas, and we found that only in Scripture there's only one other person called the son of perdition, and that is who? The Antichrist. So what do we understand about that term? It is somebody who claims to be a follower of Christ, but inwardly is corrupt. Let's continue. Verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak, what? In the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has what? Hated them because they are not what? Where's that? What's the next phrase? Of the what? Now are God's people in the world, ladies and gentlemen? But they are what? Not what? Of the world. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, I am in the world, but I am not of this world. And so here Jesus is communicating something to the Father, and he is praying that his people would not be of this world. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Here we see the world's enmity because uh, just rallied against those who claim to be not of this world. Let's continue. Just as I am not, what? Of this world. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, here it is. They are not of the world just as I am not, what? of the world. Here you understand something that Jesus is trying to communicate, ladies and gentlemen, and thing that we should always keep in the back of the mind. We are in this world, but we are not called to be of this world. Now the reason I bring this up is because there are many Christians who live today like there is no second coming. They're living their lives like there is no heaven. And though they claim outwardly to be a Christian, inwardly they're of this world. But Jesus' prayer for you, ladies and gentlemen, is that you will be not of this world. Can you say amen to that? God wants you to understand that your citizenship is in where? 
heaven. You read what the gospel says. Jesus said, do not rejoice because the demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written where? Written in heaven. Now, this is so remarkable because Jesus was speaking to a group of backslidden, fumbling, messed up disciples. Yet he was making it very clear to them, look, you have property in heaven. You have property in heaven already. And he says, you can rejoice about this. You can be happy because God has granted salvation to the worst of you. Can you say amen to that? We see that we are part of this heavenly kingdom. We are called to be citizens of the new Jerusalem. But what we do, ladies and gentlemen, is what we what? Communicate. We are God's love letter to this world. And we are communicating something about heaven. We are communicating whether we are of this world or whether we are of heaven. So how we live our lives is very, very important. Whether we want to believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, we are constantly communicating something to this world. We are a letter to this world. There's a very interesting individual in the Bible. His name was John the Baptist. First time I heard about John the Baptist, I was watching a movie about Jesus. It was a very old movie, and it, it, was this, it was this field, and here you see this grasshopper, a big old grasshopper, and you see John's eyes come up like this. And he grabbed it, and he just ate it. And I was like, this is the forerunner of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand about John the Baptist. He was a very special person. Can you say amen to that? He had a very special mission. He did not just communicate with his words, but his very life was a message to this world. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the what? Wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at what? So what was John the Baptist's message? Heaven is near. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see what John the Baptist was communicating with his life? He was communicating a message about heaven. Well, let's see what else the rest of the scripture says. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now watch what the Bible says right here. It includes this extra information. And John himself was clothed in what? Camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Mark talks about this very same characteristic about John the Baptist. And John was clothed with what? camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey again and again the scriptures are communicating that john the baptist his very lifestyle was a message to this fallen world about what that the kingdom of heaven is near ladies and gentlemen we are communicating a message with our lifestyle and we need to hear messages like this because we need to find out, God, what is the higher standard that you want us to go to? Can you say amen to that? And we are constantly progressing and making our way to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, our time here is a journey upward to heaven. Can you say amen to that? Oh, I wish there was more amens to that. It doesn't sound like you really are preparing for heaven. Amen? That's better. There you go. Praise the Lord. Somebody is listening. 
We are on upward journey going to heaven. And through our life, we are communicating a message about heaven. We are God's love letter in this world. Now, taking a good look at heaven and some of the things that we're going to experience in heaven helps us to understand how we should prepare for that beautiful place that is above. Amen? Look what Revelation 15 verse 2 says about people in heaven. John is seeing the future. And he is seeing the future. He is seeing a group of people who are on the sea of glass. And by the way, you know he's talking about the future because the Bible says these people have gotten victory over the mark of the beast. Well, what is he seeing? And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with what? Fire. And those who have the victory over the what? beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having what harps of God now watch this they sing the songs of Moses the servant of God and the song of the what lamb ladies and gentlemen here you can see that God's people in heaven will be praising the Lord amen that's super important because understanding that heaven is going to be a time of rejoicing ladies and gentlemen it teaches us that we should begin the rejoicing now. Amen? Look what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says. You are a chosen what? Generation. A royal what? Priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the what? Praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look what else the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 15. By therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God. What? continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name ladies and gentlemen first point is this in order to be ready for the praise of heaven we should learn the praise of God here on earth amen and the best time to learn the praise of God is in times when you don't feel like praising the Lord when it's the most difficult time for you to praise the Lord is for you to look up to heaven and start thanking God for his goodness Ladies and gentlemen, we are learning the song of Moses and of the Lamb when we learn to praise God when it's difficult. God's people should not be fake. Amen? They should not be superficial, but they should be a people who are actually genuinely happy about God. You know, sometimes you come across some Christians who are so sad, and there's, there's understanding of why some people may be sad, why they are going through depression, and that's understandable. But ladies and gentlemen, whether or not you are going through depression, you should still be praising God. And that's why the Bible says it's called the sacrifice. Because sometimes it's not easy. Amen? Sometimes it's not easy, but we should be doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to be a people who are continually offering thanks to the Lord. Well, we're also understanding this. Take a good look at Titus 2 verse 7. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good what? Works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech. Whoa, now that's very interesting. That cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, what comes out of our mouth is very important. Because every word that we are speaking is communicating something about the character of God. And so if here we are, we are cursing up. Every other word is a curse word, ladies and gentlemen. People are hearing that and they said, wow, I wonder what heaven's going to be sounding like if that's what you are, if that's what you are as a citizen of that place. We have to learn to control our tongue. Amen? I understand occasionally slip-ups may happen. 
But at the same time, it should not be part of the regular speech of someone who is a citizen of heaven. Amen? There's going to be none of that there. And if there is, you're in the wrong place. The Bible teaches us something about heaven as well. Take a good look at what the scripture says in Isaiah 11 verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leper shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the fat lean together, and a little child shall what? Lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young one shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the cobra's hole. What is the Bible describing? A picture of heaven. When little kids are going to be running around seemingly poisonous and dangerous animals putting their hand down a cobra's nest and say, Mommy, look what I found, a cobra. But the Bible teaches us that these animals will no longer have that aggression or that violence in their very nature anymore. Look what else the Bible says. The nursing shall pray by the child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not what? Hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. The Bible teaches us that heaven is going to be a place of peace. Amen? Where even animals that may be predator and prey on this planet will be together spending time together. In fact, the Bible gives us a prediction that one day we're going to see in heaven a little child walking behind or leading this really huge, ferocious lion. And we're going to remember this verse. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven is a place where love and harmony exist. Can you say amen to that? Where two groups or two entities that may be averse to each other will be getting along. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 that there under the tree of life will be the leaves for the healing of the nation. Indicating what? That the same things that separate us here on earth, that these things will be gone and that we will be one people. I'm not talking about the unique individual traits of us, ladies and gentlemen, but I am talking about the things that separate us. The things that separate us. The Bible teaches us that we can best prepare for heaven by what it says in John 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are what? My disciples. Jesus says, here's how people are going to know that you are a citizen of the kingdom. If you have what? Love for one another. Love for one another. Now, love for one another doesn't just mean being nice. There's a lot of nice people out there. There's a lot of atheists and atheists that are still nice people. But what is God calling us to have? He is calling us to have genuine Christian love. And by the way, do you know where else the scripture says where the love of God should be manifested first? In the house of God. Amongst the brethren. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to manifest love here. And from this place, when others are coming and joining, they can clearly see the Holy Spirit is here. This is the place where God's love needs to be numero uno. Can you say amen to that? So as we're getting ready for heaven, the Bible also tells us something else that we will experience in heaven. Matthew 8, verse 11. And I say to you that many shall come from the what? East and from the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and who? Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible describes that one day we're going to be able to sit down with these great Bible patriarchs. But ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience what that may be. We can learn to do it now. Now you're scratching your head. You're saying, wait a minute. I thought the dead sleep. And they do. But watch what Ellen White says. She says something so beautiful right here. 
something so beautiful about the Word of God. With the Word of God in his hand, the Scriptures, every human being, wherever his lot in life may be cast, may have such companionship as he shall choose. In its pages, again, talking about the Bible, he may hold converse with the noblest and best of the human race and may listen to the voice of the Eternal as he speaks with men, as he studies and meditates upon the themes which the angels desire to look. First Peter 1 12, he may have their companionship. He may follow the steps of the heavenly teacher and listen to his words as when he taught on mountain and plain and sea. He may dwell in the world in the atmosphere of heaven, imparting to earth sorrowing and tempted ones, thoughts of hope and longings for holiness himself, coming closer and still closer into fellowship with the unseen, like him of old who walked with God, drawing nearer and nearer the threshold of the eternal world until the portal shall open and he shall enter there. He will find himself, now watch this, no stranger. He will find himself no stranger when he gets to heaven. The voices that greet him are the voices of the Holy One who unseen were on, his, on earth, his companions, the angels. Voices that here he learned to distinguish and to love. He who through the word of God has lived in fellowship with heaven and will find himself at home in heaven's companionship. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches us one of the best ways that we can prepare for heaven is by spending time getting to know the people who are going to be there. Amen? The Abraham, the Isaac, the Jacobs that will be there. We get to learn about their life. So when we get to heaven, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be no foreigners there. Why? Because you have learned about heaven's inhabitants now. And it is through study of the word of God. Amen? More and more, the Word of God should be preparing us for heaven. This is a time that God is calling His people to be ready. We are a heaven-bound people. Our citizenship is heaven. We are heading there. The Bible tells us that we're going to be getting a crown in heaven. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of what? Righteousness, which the righteous judge will give me on that day. What day? The second coming. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His what? appearing. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible promises that one day God is going to give us crowns of glory. Can you say amen to that? And even you can see in Revelation, the 24 elders lay down their crowns before God as they realize his beauty and his glory. But ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to wait till heaven to get a crown. You know that? Look what else the scripture says right here. Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. What was he talking about? What is Paul talking about? So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul is calling the church his crown. What did he mean? Go to 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19. For what is our joy? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Now watch this. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. In other words, what Paul saw as his crown was saved souls. Amen? You know, there's people here who I consider my crown. I look at them and I say, Lord, thank you for that crown. I never told them this, but they don't need to hear that. But when I see them, I think, that's my crown. Ladies and gentlemen, every time we win somebody to the Lord, we see in them the jewels of heaven. Amen? They are our crown. And so that's why the work of soul saving is extremely important. 
God is trying to prepare you for heaven by showing you and teaching you what heaven is going to be about. Heaven is going to be about all the most beautiful jewels of heaven, and that is the redeemed. And every time we win somebody, ladies and gentlemen, they are our crown of glory. Can you say amen to that? And each one should reach one. So here's the question I want to ask you and challenge you with. Ladies and gentlemen, have you won at least one person to the Lord? Have you won at least one person to the Lord? God is calling you to reach somebody, and all you simply need to do is what I told Namiko and Duane earlier. Make it your daily prayer. God, use me today. And he will bring you in the most unusual circumstances and situations where you can share a word of hope and encouragement. Amen? You are my crown, is what Paul says. We are called to be witnesses in heaven. We can experience that crown of glory now. We don't have to wait just for heaven. The Bible teaches us that we'll be getting robes of righteousness in heaven. Look what Revelation 7 verse 9 says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man can number, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed with what? White robes. The Bible teaches us that in heaven we will have white robes, glorious robes of light. Glorious robes of light. Imagine Moses when he was before the presence of God and just spending those days in the presence of God. What did he come down with? Glorious light all over him. So much that the rest of the Israelites could not handle it. But the Bible teaches us that we will be wearing these special robes. But ladies and gentlemen, we can begin to wear the robes of righteousness now. Amen? The Bible says something very interesting in Colossians chapter 3. We don't need to go there, but you can mark that reference. The Bible tells us that we can put on righteousness. Through the grace of God, we come to him and we can say, Lord, I want you to put your beautiful character upon me. The Bible tells us to take off hypocrisy, to take off vindictiveness or hatred or selfishness. So each and every day, ladies and gentlemen, we are to ask God to clothe us with his righteousness. And the Bible teaches us that that can be a reality through his grace. In fact, the Bible also teaches us something very interesting about the way we dress. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 2-4. through 4. Even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In other words, Peter here is giving inspiration how unconverted husbands can be won by their wives. Well, what do you say, Peter? Let's see what else. When they observe your chaste conduct. The word chaste means pure. Accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be outward. In other words, do not let the focus of your fashion be all outward. In other words, when people see you, they should be seeing somebody who has the simplicity of Christ. Amen? Let's see what else. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorrupt, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now watch this. Which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. The Bible teaches us the main focus of our adornment should be our what? Character. Should be our character. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I put the King James translation because the New King James puts italic words there, which is not what is in this translation. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, in like manner also that women adorn themselves with what? 
modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided. You look in Greek, the word braided means broided, which is a word of trying to put up your hair and add different jewels and trying to make it look something very attractive that the rest of the world sees you rather than Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been to some churches where it looks like a lady has a peacock on her head. God does not want us to be the attraction when it comes to worshiping God. Jesus should be the attraction. Can you say amen to that? And God should be the focus of all our worship. And I appreciated that special music that you guys gave earlier, that Jesus is the center of it all. Amen? Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. The Bible says something very interesting about jewelry, that we should not be like a Christmas tree. When you go into a Christmas tree, when you go by a Christmas tree, it's all full of these jewels, and all you do is you look at it and you just mesmerize by it. God wants us to exemplify simplicity, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible, when you talk about Christ, Isaiah 53 says, there was nothing in him that should be desired. I used to be somebody, I've told this story before, who used to wear a lot of jewelry. In the Indian culture, we wear a lot of jewelry. And I used to wear, I used to be somebody who used to have both ears pierced. I used to be somebody who used to wear these big old necklaces. I used to be somebody who had these rings. They're like, really? That's me. In fact, I had the top of my ear pierced as well. I was planning right before I became a Christian to get a bullnose ring. You're laughing at me. But that was the reality. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I, I think I've destroyed that picture. But imagine if I came up and I'm like, I want to tell you about the love of God right now. And all you're thinking is, I would just like to pull that nose ring right now. I just would like to pull it. You ever see somebody with your ring? Just like, I just like to pull it, see what would happen. But ladies and gentlemen, the Bible teaches us simplicity and that we should not get up all these adornments. The Bible is teaching that when we should see us, they should see Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, God has blessed the women of our church. Can you say amen to that? Husbands, you should make sure that you are constantly looking to your wife or the woman you plan to marry. And you should be complimenting them, knowing that they are loved and cherished and they are beautiful, even when they wake up without makeup. Amen? I know women get dressed up, ladies and gentlemen, for other women. I understand that weird women dynamic. I understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, women are responders. And so it's very important that they should know that they are beautiful. Amen? Because God has blessed our women. Amen? There should be more amen from the men. Amen? Amen. So we're seeing this in simplicity that God is calling us, and he's wanting us to adorn. He wants to adorn the inward man. Like, in other words, the heart, the character is what should be adorned. God says, you are my jewels. He's pointing to humanity and says, you are my special jewels. When we get to heaven, God's going to give us a crown of glory, but he warns us to be careful of following after the world. And ladies and gentlemen, this just goes to the men as well. We ought to be men who dress properly. Doesn't mean we dress like we're from the 60s. I've seen some wives saying, my husband got the old coat out of the closet. You do not want to be around him right now. And it's got all these very interesting clothing. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to your husbands, men, don't make your wife be embarrassed of you. Amen? We ought to be people who present uh, modesty and simplicity. And that's, of course, to the individuality, but it's also regulated by the guidelines of Scripture. 
The Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation, there is this harlot woman, and she is dressed up and adorned with things of the world. And then we see God's church, who's represented as a woman of modesty. In fact, what you notice is that the harlot woman gets her attraction by the things she is wearing. But when you take a good look at the woman who is of the church, she gets her light. She gets her light from the sun. What is that an understanding of? God is showing us that it is through his glory and his character that he can change our character. Amen? Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 through 23. We're winding down. Look what else the Bible says right here. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before what? Me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one what? Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to what? Worship me. The Bible teaches us that in heaven we're going to experience the Sabbath. So here's the time to begin to learn about that. Exodus 20 tells us that we should remember the Sabbath. Now I'm going to ask you a very simple question, ladies and gentlemen. When is the best time to remember that a quiz is going to take place on Thursday? You're absolutely right. If you remember that you have a quiz only on Thursday, you're in deep trouble, ladies and gentlemen. You know why? Because you had no time to prepare. So in other words, what God is saying is, for remember the Sabbath day, he is saying, look, look at the rest of the week and get everything ready because when the Sabbath day is coming, you want to make sure you're prepped and ready for that special day. Amen? So use that Friday day, Friday time during the day to vacuum the house, fill up the tank, buy all the groceries that you need to have because when you invite Pastor Nell over for lunch, you want him to enjoy it. Amen? The Bible teaches us that Friday nights and Sabbath, the Sabbath experience should be a special one for the people of God. That's why the Bible says the Sabbath was what? Made for man. When the Sabbath hours begin, you should take it Friday night. You have the bread that has been bought. You have the the car that's filled up and your husband comes home. And the first thing he should be smelling is warm, delicious bread. Amen? Or you can reverse it. When the woman comes home and the first thing she should be smelling is not motor oil... But she should be smelling Lysol because the man has cleaned the house. (laughs) Amen? You know I'm preaching the truth right now. (laughs) There's some family issues coming out during this sermon. But you get my point. God is calling us to be a heavenly people. Amen? And a heavenly people are people who are united and taking care of each other and getting ready for that special act of worship. And as you keep Sabbath, as you observe Sabbath and celebrate the Sabbath with your family, they will learn to love that day. But the key is to remember. If you wait till the Sabbath to do your Sabbath preparation, ladies and gentlemen, all they will know the Sabbath is as it's just a day of work and getting everything vacuumed and cleaned up just in case Pastor Nell comes by. You get my point? So therefore, the preparation should take place before. You should remember before. So as you're getting ready, that day is just about you, your family, and Jesus. Amen? You, your family, and Jesus. The Bible teaches us that we should not trample on this day, but we should observe it to God and get everything ready for this special time, this special occasion for us and Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, When you take a good look at this message, when you take a good look at the things of heaven, the Bible teaches us that God is not ashamed. He's not ashamed of what? God is not ashamed 
to be called your God. You're saying, what? You hear that? I want to say it one more time. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Well, why is that? For he has prepared a city for them. God may have some children who are troublesome, who are backslidden. He may have some children who get into a whole lot of issues. But he's still not ashamed of them. Amen? God is not ashamed of his children. The Bible says this, that, that we can be ashamed of God. You're like, what? Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 9. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess before the angels of God. God's not going to be ashamed of you if you are not ashamed of him. Amen? But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't want to deny you. He's not ashamed of you. And so when you take a good look in this world, ladies and gentlemen, people ought to know by the words of your mouth and by the, the behavior that you have, that's because of God's grace that you're a Christian. That you're somebody who is getting ready for heaven. These are the days that God is calling us. We learned last night about a man by the name of Nicodemus who was somebody who came to Jesus. And he came at night because he was afraid. He was terrified of other people finding out that he was coming to Jesus for answers. Jesus told Nicodemus something very special. He says this, Nicodemus, you want to go to heaven. This is what you lived your whole life for. And this is what he said to him. Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born? When he, born when he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one, now watch what he says, one is born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. God is making it very clear that what is prescribed for the Christian is a baptism of water and a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to be baptized. Ladies and gentlemen, if God is calling you to make those decisions like that brave group of people did last night, they stepped forward, then you ought to make that same decision. I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. Amen? And the Bible tells us that we need to be born of water and of the Spirit. Nicodemus, three and a half years later, finally came to Jesus, but when he came to Jesus, he didn't see a living Savior. He found a dead one. God doesn't want our experience to be like Nicodemus's. He wants us to experience this Christ now, ladies and gentlemen, before it's too late. God is calling us to be faithful to him and not wait till tomorrow. The Bible says tomorrow is promised to no man. And you say, well, I'm a sinner. I'm a great sinner. And now you don't know how bad my life is. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how bad your life is, but I know how good God is. And look what the scripture says right here. And now, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins and calling on the name of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, baptism is not for perfect people. Baptism is for imperfect people. Amen? We don't want to say, Lord, I'm finally ready to be baptized because you may never be ready. But if you're willing, that is what God is looking for, ladies and gentlemen. God is looking for people who are willing and say, Lord, I'm a great sinner. 
That's why Peter says this, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? The remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are gifts of the Spirit, there are fruits of the Spirit, but then there is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to give you that gift as you step forward to follow Him. The Bible says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. God wants to give you heaven. He wants to give you the kingdom. It's in His heart. He says, I want to bless you more than you know. But He says, follow me. He says, follow me. These are the times that God is calling for his people, and we don't want to wait for tomorrow. We want to make that decision today. I'm going to invite Max up. He's going to sing a very special song, and I'm going to make a very special appeal, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be making an appeal for people who have made the decision to get baptized, who say, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm going to make this appeal right after this song. And if God is speaking in your heart today to get baptized or re-baptized, Don't wait, because tomorrow may never come. Jesus said, here I stand, won't you please let me in? And you said, I will tomorrow. Jesus said, I am. Still you laugh and play and 
make a very special appeal right now and I hope you're hearing me never made a baptismal appeal in this church during church service because I know now that God is calling some people to follow him and some of you have already made that decision ladies and gentlemen to follow Jesus in baptism and if you made those decisions raise your hand if you made that decision yesterday and you say I have made that decision to follow Jesus now I'm gonna ask you to do one more thing I asked you to do yesterday I want you to come up to the front come up to the front and be a witness for those who are being called to that same decision. If you made that decision yesterday to be baptized, I want you to come up to the front. Let the world see your confession of Christ. Amen. But now this is the time that God is calling for other people who haven't made that decision. If you're somebody who has been struggling to make that decision to follow Jesus, to get baptized, now is the time for you to come to the front. Tomorrow is promised to no man. Tomorrow is promised to no man, and God is calling you to follow. Amen, sister. Amen. Is there anybody else who wants to make that decision to say, Lord, I don't want to be glued to my seat anymore? I want to be part of heaven's kingdom. Is there anybody else who wants to stand and confess Jesus today? Is there anybody who wants to make that decision to follow God? These are the times that God is calling his people. Sister, I hope you're coming up to the front. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I know there's one more person. I know there's somebody else here. And we need to be praying for that person. Amen. Susan, we were waiting for you earlier. (laughs) Is there anybody else who God is calling to make that decision? These are the times. Church family, be praying for that person, that God's angels will be surrounding that person to step up. These are the times that God is calling sinners to follow him. Is there one more person here? One more person here who God is calling to go up forward, to confess Christ, and to not look back. Ladies and gentlemen, is there one more person here who God is calling? These are the times that God is calling his people to be courageous, to stand for him, to be faithful to him. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Church family, what's two minutes compared to all of eternity? Amen? Two minutes left, ladies and gentlemen. Is there one more person here who needs to make a decision for Jesus? Who needs to make a decision for Jesus? Who wants to be part 
of that heavenly kingdom. Perhaps you're somebody who needs to get rebaptized. You're somebody who has been feeling God calling you back for a long time, ladies and gentlemen, and now God is speaking to you. Return to me, and I will restore you. Is there anybody here who needs to make that same decision, who needs that courage to stand up? God will give you that courage, but he calls you to stand up for him. Is there anybody else, ladies and gentlemen, who needs to make that decision? Be praying for that one person, because it's a struggle. Be praying that God would give him the strength to stand up and say, Lord, I want to I be born of water, and I want to be born of the Spirit, because I want to be part of the everlasting kingdom. Is there one more person here who God is calling to arise and tarry no more? Stand up and confess him. These are the times, ladies and gentlemen. Is there one more person here? One more person who needs to stand up and come to the front like old Nicodemus and confess Jesus. One more person here. Praise the Lord. Sister, we're waiting for you. (laughs) Well, church family, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the unusual ways that you work, Lord, that just end up going to church, and here we are, we're making an eternal decision. Lord, that our destinies may be changed, but God, we don't know how to do it. All we know how to do is step forward. And so, Lord, that's what this group of people is doing. But, Lord, you promised a change of heart. You promised that you would baptize them afresh with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I just pray for these people right now who have made this decision to follow you, God. Bless their hearts. Let them know that they are loved even before they come to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.